Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Oh, I gotta say... It is hell getting old. Tell you what, you know, these days, they just seem to go by faster and faster. There, there's never enough hours in the day to get done what you want to get done. You know, you get up, you, you go to work, come back from work, and, you know, it's like 5 o'clock-ish, right? And there's all this stuff you want to get done. You got to get a workout in. You got to make dinner. You got to record a podcast <laughs> or whatever your side gig is, you know. Yeah, I'm one of those guys where if I if I don't start doing something like right when I get back from work, it my my night's over. I I can't come home and sit and sit down on the couch because that's where I will be for the remainder of the night. There's just there's too many distractions. There's too many there there's too much stuff to watch now like you can put on Netflix and just binge watch shows or you got your phone you could do all you can get lost on your phone all kinds of crazy social media stuff and before you know it it's it's 8 or 9 o'clock you haven't made dinner you haven't prepped breakfast or lunch for the next day you haven't ironed your clothes um oh god so now i i haven't had dinner yet and i mean man when i was young i would just uh, i should say when i was younger <laughs> I would just order a pizza or something, not even think twice about it. Get a pizza, get some Chinese food, whatever, some Thai food. And now it's like, oh, God, I can't eat that. I can't eat pizza. I'm off the carbs, you know? Got to stay lean and mean. But, man, all I want is a fucking pizza right now. And if you're not going to make dinner, you're going to get delivery. You're basically limited to three things, right? You have pizza, you have Asian food, and by Asian food, I'm, inc- I'm including Indian food with that because there are some good Indian, Indian restaurants around Chicago that you can get delivered. And then you have like the American stuff, right? Burgers, fried chicken, stuff like that. A- Asian, you know, Japanese, Thai food, you can, you can find some healthy stuff in there, but I mean, you can only eat that so often, you know? Oh, oh well, I'll figure something out. I'm just going to drink some wine. anyways what i wanted to talk about today well let me back up for a second thank you very much for listening to the show and for all you new listeners out there not familiar with the program i generally talk about politics and current events and general libertarian philosophy but it's been a slow news week and 
God help us, the Democratic, the Democratic, the first round of Democratic um, presidential debates is going on right now. And I, I, I'm DVRing it. I will watch it for you guys. The things I do for all our fans out there. But I'm going to save that for probably Monday of next week because Johnny the Jew will be back, back from the motherland. And I think that'll be a good time to go through. You know, you can get both of our perspectives on the debates. I think we'll have probably some different takes on things considering his proclivity toward statism. So I think Monday we'll break down how we think each presidential candidate did. And you can get my thoughts on the whole charade that is the election process. Well, I guess I can give some predictions for the debate, right? Because tonight's the first night. I'm DVR in this, though. I I can't stand to watch it live. I'm going to have to probably fast forward through a lot of the bullshit. But um, if the last Democratic debate was any indication, you know, you basically just had Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton agreeing with each other the whole time. Bernie Sanders never really went after her on anything. I see a lot of that same thing sort of happening here. There is not much separating these candidates from each other. They all pretty much agree on just about everything. They all want to hand out a, and when I say hand out, they want to steal a bunch of stuff and hand it out in exchange for votes. So they're all, they're all going to try to bribe people for votes. Um, <laughs> I guess that's not much of a prediction. You, that's, that's just a guarantee. I am somewhat excited is not the right word. I'm interested to see Tulsi Gabbard in this debate. I'm glad she made it in. She's really the only candidate that, that that's not obsessed with all this um, social justice warrior stuff. I mean, she yeah, she's she's terrible on economics, and she agrees with all these candidates as far as economic policy, healthcare, education, all that stuff. But she's anti-war. First and foremost, that is her. That is her thing. She's a she's a veteran. She, I think she's still enlisted, so she she walks the walk and she can talk the talk. She's not she's not a buffoon like so many of the, the people that are going to be up on that stage. I just don't think she's going to get much of an opportunity to talk. She'll probably get the least amount of time out of anybody, even though you have people like fucking De Blasio who I. I I thought he was pulling at like zero percent. I don't understand how he's in this how he's in this debate. I mean, you're gonna have a bunch of buffoons up there: Beto O'Rourke, Bill De Blasio, a couple people you've never fucking heard of. Tulsi Gabbard, probably most people haven't heard of either. Um, I hope she can make an impression. I hope they give her a chance to speak. I'm just not very optimistic. They'll they'll give her like one or two questions, and she's and they're probably not gonna be related. <laughs> I bet you she doesn't even get questions on the wars that are going on. She's only going to get two or three questions the entire night. So regardless of what they ask her, she has to just go into her spiel, forget about what the question is, and just talk about being anti-war. Because that's that's the only thing that separates her from everybody else. You know, other than that, it's just going to be a fucking shit show. These people are all a bunch of clowns. And... <laughs> I can only imagine how hilarious this is going to be to just try to watch them one-up each other and promise more 
more stuff to voters in exchange for their vote. It's just open bribery. Anyway, I really think this is an incredibly weak field of candidates. I... The more I hear from them, the more I think Donald Trump is a lock for 2020. I mean, going tonight, you know, you have Elizabeth Warren is the leader of this sort of second tier group that's going. She pretended to be a Native American. There is just no way. She's dead on arrival. Not only did she pretend to be a Native American, she took a DNA test that Donald Trump baited her into doing. (laughs) And it proved that she's, like, whiter than white, like albino white. And she was parading around like it was a victory. She's also got this, like, like Hillary Clinton-esque essence about her where she's just such a phony, just so f- transparently phony. I don't know. Everybody else in there is just a buffoon. Like, Beto, he's a buffoon. Doesn't matter. Um, tomorrow night, you know, we have the big hitters. You got... Joe Biden, who I think is an incredibly weak candidate. I have no idea how he's leading in the polls. I, with the way the Democratic Party is this day and age, I don't understand how he's going to be able to navigate these primaries, how he's going to be able to move that far to the left as an old white man. How's he going to be able to do that? They, they, all they do is rail against men, white men, old white men in particular, old white rich men in particular. I mean, he is everything that they profess to hate. I mean, being Barack Obama's right-hand man only gets you so far. And I don't understand how he's going to navigate this, the, the, the racial stuff that's going to come up. Because the second anything, anything involved race comes up, you know, he's going to have to check his privilege. So, I don't know. Bernie Sanders, I don't even think he really wants to be president. I think he just wants to, you know, have a, another ghost, another book ghost written and make another couple million bucks before he dies. <sighs> Who else? I don't know. Whatever. I'll, I'll wait for the rest. I'll wait for the debates. But it should be interesting to see to see who shakes out at, at the top of this because we got to whittle this down to like five or six people pretty soon. Well, not pretty soon. We have like a fucking year. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about today, a couple of things. So. We've had some developments with Iran. So I wanted to go over that. I know I just did an episode on, on false flags. That was I recorded that before before the drone was shot down by Iran. So and I, I apologize. It took me a while to get that out. I had kind of a hectic week going on and so I was a little behind with that one. And now I'm a little behind with this one. But I, I had a couple thoughts on the on the whole issue. So I thought I'd go through that. We also had a story, (laughs) speaking of the last episode I did, I think I also talked about how the media was giving Trump a hard time for so-called election interference, and we just had this Project Veritas story break where they, they basically busted Google for actively interfering in the election. And Google's been scrubbing all these videos from the internet, and YouTube's been scrubbing them. Um, Project Veritas was the the same group that uncovered a lot of those um, Planned Parenthood where they were selling the the body parts on like the black market or something like that years ago. And I think before that they they broke the Acorn story. This is going years back now. So let me just address the the Iran stuff off the bat because it's been in the news lately. 
there's there's been a lot of chatter about it. And and basically what happened was Iran put its country too close to our drones. <laughs> no, but but seriously, so we have this this is a huge uh, it's an unmanned drone. It's enormous. You know, people think of drones, they think of those little things that you're kind of flying around or like maybe it's like a slightly bigger military version of that, you know, size of like a car or something. This drone is big. Like when you lay it out next to like one like a jumbo jet or something, it 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 holds its own. It's got a huge wingspan. The thing costs two hundred and fifty million dollars. All right, it's an unmanned drone, and depending on which country you ask, you know, you ask the United States, it was in international waters. You talk to the Iranians, and it was in their airspace, so they shot it down. You know, I who are you gonna believe? I don't know. There's just been so many times where <laughs> the U.S. has has told us something that oh no no we weren't over there or no we weren't collecting your data. Like I, I'm just inclined to believe the Iranians here, but it's almost beside the point. All right, they 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 shot down the drone. They admitted to shooting down the drone. This isn't one of those things like the week before where they had the oil tankers and we were blaming them and they were denying it. They 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 flat out said, yeah, we shot down that fucking drone. It was flying in our airspace. Like, you bring another one around, we'll do the same thing. So, and this, I mean, this has the the neocons panties all in a bunch. And I mean, one one thing that they never do, one of the, the biggest issues on the right, Republicans, these neocons, they never put themselves in the other country's shoes. Could you imagine... Could you imagine what the United States would do if Iran was flying this gigantic drone? This thing, it's like, it, the wingspan is almost the size of, like, it, I, I saw a, a picture where they overlaid it with, like, a jumbo a commercial jet. And it's huge, okay? It's, like, a quarter the size of that, maybe. Maybe a little bigger. The wingspan is almost as big. I mean, this is not like a little thing, all right? So they're uh, the Iranians are flying maybe just off the coast, just off the coast of New York, and we're just going to let that go? Of course not. We would shoot that shit down in a fucking heartbeat. And they, we do the same thing with terrorism. You know, when Ron Paul talked about blowback, and he got all that shit from, like, Rudy Giuliani and all the Republicans, you have to imagine what it's like to be these countries where they're halfway around the world. We have like military bases. We're flying around in their, like right outside their airspace, drone bombing them, all kinds of shit. You have to imagine it from their perspective. And, and think about it. Think about what it's like when there's a terrorist attack here. Okay. I mean, we had nine 11. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was, what was the reaction? The immediate reaction was, oh, well, we have to do something. We have to retaliate. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what they're thinking when they get drone bombed. Or I remember a couple of years ago, there was a terrorist attack in New York, and I think the guy was driving like a cab or something. He, he, he was running over people in a car. And I just remember the, the, the right-wing media was like, you know, because it was a Muslim guy, and it was like, hey, you know, we, we can't just let this attack go go un, unaddressed we have we have to we have to do something and it's just like do you guys hear yourself right now we have to do something that's exactly 
what everyone else in all these other countries that we're interfering in abroad are thinking when when they see us do shit like that. Well, we have to do something. It's just that their something doesn't involve a, a professional military. Their something involves strapping a bomb to their ch- their chest and walking into a crowded building or something like that. That's their something. That's how they retaliate. I'm getting way off topic here. So Iran shoots down our drone, and you know that the neocons and the and the John Boltons and the Mike Pompeos of the world are. This is exactly what they were looking for. It, the timing is awfully convenient, considering that their false flag from the week before just completely failed. <laughs> um, so that that has my spidey sense tingling a little bit. But you know that they're pushing immediately for retaliation. And Donald Trump, he comes off as this guy that, that wants to be real tough, you know, and it's this this attack can't go unprovoked. The first thing he does, though, I thought it was kind of interesting, was he came out and he said something along the lines of, well, you know, we're we're not sure that this wasn't an accident or this wasn't like a rogue um, general that was operating without orders, that he just shot it down by mistake. And it's, listen, he doesn't believe that they shot the drone down by mistake. What he's trying to do is diffuse the situation. He's trying to give himself an out to avoid conflict. At least I, that's what I think he's doing. Because when you do that, when you do that thing where you draw the line in the sand, you know this is what happened with uh, Obama in Syria. You draw that red line in the sand, and be like, well, if this happens, then we're gonna have to re- retaliate militarily. When you draw that line, you paint yourself into a corner. And so I think by coming out and saying, well, you know, we're not sure, you know, if this was deliberate or if this was just a general acting on his own, he's trying to defuse the situation. But basically what happens is we find out the next day that he was minutes away, 10, 15 minutes away from bombing, quote unquote, you know, strategic targets in Iran. And at the last minute, you know, with 20, 30 minutes to spare or something like that, he, he calls it off. And I mean, there, there's just so much there that I don't think is being discussed in the media. It's not that I don't think it's being discussed. It's absolutely not being discussed. OK, the, first of all, it, it was actually very interesting. I guess you could say refreshing to see such a candid explanation of what the president was thinking because you know you usually get these really presidential guys you know like the a Mitt Romney type or Barack Obama they they usually use euphemisms or they and they they're talking about you know well you know we decided not to do that because it was not in our strategic interests and yada 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 right Donald Trump has no filter okay and, <laughs> It's it's one of the things that a lot of people love about him, and it's it's also one of the things that a lot of people hate about him. So he will like I don't think he is capable of not saying exactly what comes to mind, <laughs> and and so he gives this very candid explanation. I'm going to play the clip. They came and they said, "Sir, we're ready to go. We'd like a decision." I said, "I want to know something before you go. How many people will be killed?" In this case, Iranians. Mm-hmm. I said, how many people are going to be killed? 
Uh, sir, I'd like to get back to you on that. Great people, these generals. They said, uh, came back, said, sir, approximately 150. And I thought about it for a second, and I said, you know what? They shot down an unmanned uh, drone, mm -hmm. plane, whatever you want to call it. And here we are sitting with 150 dead people that would have taken place probably within a half an hour after I said, go ahead. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was proportionate. Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple things there. I, I did think it was pretty interesting, like I said, to just hear a president sort of speak so candidly about it. I, I don't know if, <laughs> I think he's exaggerating for effect here. I don't know. Well, maybe he would, maybe he would order an airstrike without knowing the consequences of that airstrike up until like 10 minutes, 30 minutes before it's going to happen. That would be very Trumpian of him. So maybe that's the way it goes. But I, I just feel like when you're in that military briefing room that they pull you into, you know, at the, at the wee hours of the night where they got to make this big decision, I feel like they hit you with, this is what we're going to do. This is the collateral damage. And then you make a decision off of that. You don't wait until like you're scrambling the jets to be like, wait, 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 how many people are going to be killed? I, I don't know. So maybe this is just part of like the, the salesman of Trump that, you know, he is good at branding and he's making this, giving himself a big fat pat on the back for calling off the airstrike that he initially ordered. But I mean, that being said, he did call it off. Thank God. I mean, he actually did the right thing here for the right reasons. It was not a proportional response. They shot down an unmanned drone, a toy of the military. Granted, a $250 million toy, which to you and me seems like a lot of money, to the federal government or the military industrial complex or the defense department, that is a rounding error. Okay, that I mean, that's nothing. So I do think there is something there, whether or not Trump knew about the the casualties that would have that would have resulted when they initially proposed the plan. If that was the driving factor, th there's something very interesting about that, because I, I find it very ironic that, you know, the the left's biggest fear, well, at least one of their biggest fears you know, leading up to the election was that this maniac. He will be the one with his finger on the nuclear button, right? And it was one of their more reasonable arguments they were making. Not that he is a racist or that he hates Mexicans, whatever. But at, le at least for me, the idea that, yeah, th this guy could have his finger on the nuclear button, that probably resonated a little more than any of their other nonsense. But the fact that he is the one to call off the airstrike for the right reason, because he didn't want to kill people. Think about it. Literally Hitler, the racist, fascist, hates brown people. He called off the airstrike because he didn't want to kill a bunch of brown people. I, I, there's something fascinating slash hilarious about that. But by the way, the answer to worries about having this loose cannon president having control over over nuclear arms or being able to um, basically destroy the world 10 times over with the press of a button, the answer is to change the system, not to change the person who has control over that button. 
Okay, this entire thing, if you take away one thing from this Iranian, from being on the brink of war with Iran, it should make you question this whole system. The fact that we can get to within minutes of a full-blown war with no congressional approval, with no discussion, no debate, no vote, it proves how unworkable this system is, how bad of a system this is. I mean, this is insane that this is the way we live our lives. ANCAPs take a lot of heat for saying that we shouldn't have government at all, right? It'll, it'll be anarchy. It will be chaos in the streets. Violence run amok. There'll be warring bands of rebels, you know? Well, look at the system we have now. What we have now is an all-powerful gang with weapons of mass destruction. And the world is subject to the whim of one potential maniac. They can bring us into war, your sons, your daughters. They can put people's lives at risk unilaterally. Drag us into 20-year-long wars. Kill millions of people with no oversight whatsoever. This is contrary to all of our founding documents, all of these checks and balances that are supposed to bind down the government. They're all useless because Congress has basically abdicated their, their power to the presidency. It makes sense from a congressman's perspective. They basically get to sit on the fence and see how the president's decisions turn out, right? So if the president wages war, it's like, well, I didn't give him approval to do that. And if whatever the president does turns out to be a good thing, they'll be like, yeah, see, like I supported the president. So this whole system, I mean, how do you not sit back and, and, and question what, what we're doing here? I, I don't understand this. We were literally 15 minutes away, 15 minutes in Donald Trump's temperament away from being in a full-blown war with a professional standing army. There were uh, 150 people, I think he said. 150 people's lives hang in the balance. Should any one person have that kind of power? Should any group of people have that kind of power? I mean, these are the questions you should be asking yourself when you hear this story. Not, oh, orange man bad, or he's literally Hitler. Or thank God he didn't do that. Yeah, thank God he didn't do that. But why are we putting ourselves in this position? Why are we putting other people in this vulnerable position where one person, forget about Donald Trump, where one person could just you just be having a bad day, be pissed off. Like, yeah, throw a couple bombs their way. This is insane. This is insanity. But I do, I do find it hilarious. And, and nobody seems to want to bring this up. That the one guy who we were all supposed to be so worried about, so worried about having his fingers on the nuclear button, he's so unstable, look at him, he's crazy, he's a racist, bigoted, fascist, he's literally Hitler. Well, I, you know, I don't think, I don't know that other presidents would have held back on this. Because it's, it's almost as if you're expected to do these sorts of things, you know, bomb strategic targets. It's practically expected of you this day and age. Remember back to when Trump bombed uh, Syria, 
following those alleged gas attacks by Assad on on his own people, which turned out to be complete bullshit. But but Trump, he bombed a bunch of empty airfields or something. And it was the one time I think that Trump has actually gotten favorable news coverage. They talked about how presidential he was being. So this is what they expect you to do as president, to bomb targets that are in the strategic interest of the United States, whatever the hell that fucking means. But one of the things Trump has going for him is that he is an outsider. He is not a career politician. But these career politicians, they, they get like desensitized to all this. Everything's just a, a piece, a, a pawn on the chessboard, right? And you're going to hit that strategic target, and this is in our strategic interests. And I just, I don't see a lot of previous presidents hesitating like this. You know, I, I, I see George W. Bush retaliating. But I, I just feel like career politicians, because they are career politicians and sort of desensitized to all of this, they don't hesitate to just hit these targets and, yeah, 150 people die. That That's just sort of the, the cost of doing business. There is something, I, I don't know, there might be something here with Donald Trump where he... You know, he has this tough guy facade or whatever, but he, he might have, he might have, and I know this is going to trigger a lot of people, but he might be a little softy on the inside, you know, a big cuddly orange teddy bear with a beautiful head of hair. Because this situation, right, the reason he called it off was he didn't want to kill people. Um, if you think back to, um, is it last year or the year before with, with Syria, the only reason that they were able, because his initial his initial instinct was to pull out of Syria. And then they came out with that bullshit story that Assad was gassing his people, right? And the only way that all these neocons were able to talk him into bombing Syria was to show him pictures of all the, all the kids that died in this gas attack. So I, I don't know, he might, have, he might have a big soft spot in his heart for... For children, whether he admits that or not, I don't know if he would want to admit that. Um, <laughs> but people might have to come to terms with this. And like it or not, you know, another thing I, I don't think I've talked about this before on the show, but I've talked about it with other people. It, it is kind of odd that he has, or at least he appears to have, a fairly good relationship with his children, being you know kind of a degenerate father. <laughs> Um, and just a billionaire, you know, usually you end up with kids like Paris Hilton or the Kardashians or something like that, where they're just complete fucking, they're complete fuck ups, they're degenerates, they're embarrassments, they're, they're, they get addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever, they're in and out of rehab, and they're an embarrassment to the family. Donald Trump seems to have this relationship with his kids, they're all involved in all his companies and they all have important jobs, and they all seem to be fairly stable individuals. I don't know. He, he <laughs> It's funny to say this, but I think he might be like a family man, you know, that just bangs a lot of hookers on the side. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought, I just thought this whole thing was, was very interesting and very revealing, both about Donald Trump and just our system of government in general. And I want everybody to... Just take a step back, forget about the politics of this 
this whole incident and really think about what what the role of government is and 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 this system that you're buying into because the the fact that we could be 20 minutes away from from full-blown war with 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 nothing with just one person making that decision for 320 million people in this country god knows how many other other countries involved you know iran has friends it wouldn't just be us fighting iran so I mean, this is this is a very dangerous situation, and I'm kind of making light of it. This is serious stuff, and and we all need to sort of take a step back and really think about what kind of system we want to live by. And I don't think it's a system where one one person can just decide to bring hundreds of millions of people into a full blown war. And while you're thinking about that. Let me tell you about our sponsor for today's show. That is Anchor. All right, here, here I was thinking this was going to be a shorter episode, and I just did 30 minutes on Donald Trump and Iran. Okay, well, in my last episode, I chastised the media and the presidential candidates for flipping out over Donald Trump admitting that he would take information from foreign countries and their overblown reaction about how this was going to be election interference and how could you say this, this is treason, all that crap, right? Well, just the other day, Project Veritas, which I kind of already went over, they, they were the ones that broke the the the, uh, the Planned Parenthood story, that they were selling body parts in the black market, and um, they broke that Acorn story like 10 years ago now. Jesus Christ. Christ, I'm getting old. And and so, you know, they go undercover and they do these videos where they they sort of cozy up to employees of, of companies and get them to admit incredible things. So in their most recent expose, it was revealed that Google is has been programming their algorithms in order to quote unquote avoid the next Trump situation. So they're basically using algorithms to direct traffic away from certain news stories that have a conservative conservative viewpoint. You know, they, they call it combating algorithmic unfairness. They have all these euphemisms for it. But this is basically all the stuff that pretty much everybody knew was going on all along. All of these big tech firms have very left-leaning tendencies, and they're using their platforms to suppress certain types of media, certain viewpoints in favor of others. And the mainstream media is completely silent on this. They get outraged when Trump says he will listen to a foreign a foreign country's information. Meanwhile, they're actively filtering out information from being disseminated from other sources that they find unfair. I mean... This is election interference at its finest. And believe me, I, I don't hold these elections in any high regard, but the idea that that you're going to turn a blind eye to these gigantic tech firms, you know, Google, Facebook, suppressing viewpoints of, you know, f- I don't know, 40 to 60% of the country, depending on or at least it's 40 to 60% of the, the voting public. I don't know how you want to categorize it. But 
the fact that they have this power and that you're going to turn a blind eye to them abusing it, it, it speaks volumes to where we are as a society. And it just, it gives, oh God. I mean, it's almost as if they are working for the Trump campaign. You realize that the reason, like Donald Trump did not coin the term fake news. The fake news was out there. Everybody felt that there was fake news. Everybody knew that there was fake news. He just recognized it and exploited it. And it's stuff like this that is the reason that he got elected. You can't just ignore this kind of story and then jump all over Donald Trump for wanting to listen to a foreign country disseminate information. We should have all the information out there. All of it. It's crazy, you know, from Alex Jones all the way to Nancy Pelosi, whatever, I don't know. Just have all the information out there. Let people make decisions based on having all the information. If, you're, if your viewpoints, if your ideas are so good, you should be able to win in the arena of ideas. You shouldn't have to suppress the ideas and the viewpoints of the other side so that they don't get as much exposure, they don't get to have as much of an effect on the general public, and then you can sort of weasel your way into a, a majority victory, okay? And this is just another instance that goes to show you that the, these people that claim to care so much about democracy and that it's the sacred thing that cannot be, that cannot and must not be tampered with, they don't, they don't believe any of that. Nobody, nobody believes in democracy. And this proves it because they're perfectly willing to suppress other people's viewpoints to influence an election, to influence democracy, as long as it's to influence the democracy toward their point of view. Nobody cares about an uncorrupted democracy if they're getting their way. You know, I, I wouldn't care if Ron Paul just took power, just took power tomorrow and eliminated the Federal Reserve without without putting it to a vote, without using any democratic process whatsoever. I wouldn't care at all. It would be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Nobody cares about democracy. None of these people that, that pretend to praise it actually care about it. What they care about is their own power and control, and they will turn a blind eye to any election influence that gets them more of what they want and less of what their political enemies want. So anyways, I, f I found it very telling. Once again, media malpractice. Nobody's talking about this. Uh, uh, Google, Google actually scrubbed video, all the videos that, that, that Project Veritas tried to post on the internet. YouTube was taking down videos as well. You can still see them on some of these alternative media sites. I forget what they're fucking called, though, because I have no idea how any of this stuff works. As I say in my ad, I am technologically illiterate. Maybe I'll link to it on the show notes page. You can watch the whole video. It's like a half hour long. I couldn't watch all of it. I, I just watched enough of it so that I could hear some of these quotes to make sure that they were actually saying what these articles said they were saying. And they are. It, it, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, they're they're openly admitting that they're they're interfering in the election, for sure, with the intent on stopping Trump from getting elected. So I guess that's fine as long as you're trying to stop Trump and you're not trying to get Trump elected. You, you see how, how ridiculous this is, this whole thing? It's all about your team. 
and it's it's okay as long as you're trying to stop literally Hitler, except that everybody has a def- a different definition of what Hitler is. You know, to the Republicans, Bernie Sanders is literally Hitler. And to the Democrats, obviously, Donald Trump is literally Hitler. So depending on which side you are and and which side has control, this is what you're going to be subject to. You're going to be subject to the whims of the majority, the will of the majority. And it just so happens that the left has a a stranglehold on media, social media, uh, television media, these big tech firms. They're all left-leaning. This is not what anybody should want, okay? Yeah, I know I know a lot of you out there think that Donald Trump is literally Hitler and he's the worst thing ever. Fine. Um, you have to find a way to defeat him in the and his followers in the arena of ideas. You don't just get to suppress other people. It's not how this works. The more stunts you pull like this, the more fuel you give to these Trump supporters, the more their position that there's this conspiracy to silence them, you're giving more credence to their fears. You're giving more fuel to what's driving this this Trump phenomenon. And it's yet another nail in the coffin of democracy. Even those that are supposedly the biggest supporters of the democratic process that hold it in such high regard, they don't believe in this. Because one of the one of the assumptions under democracy is that the minority is you know wise and virtuous enough to abide by the decision of the majority. And in this case, through our democratic process, Donald Trump was elected. You would think that these proponents of democracy, since they hold it in such high regards, would respect that outcome. And going forward, they wouldn't try to influence the upcoming election that could end up in in Donald Trump being reelected. You know, if you if you hold democracy in such high regard, why are you suppressing opposing viewpoints? Why are you suppressing information? Because they don't. Nobody really truly cares about democracy. What they care about is having their will enforced on the rest of of people. I think I've used this example before on the show can't remember but think back to the whole gay marriage thing where the supreme court just decided for all 50 states that gay people were were going to be allowed to be married now i I happen to believe that that is the 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 correct stance on the subject and libertarians always had that right they were pro-gay marriage before the the democrats were i forget who said it but libertarians are better liberals than the liberals and better conservatives than conservatives but think back to that decision. There was nothing democratic about that. They just decided. They just create. They just decided that this was going to be the law of the land, where all of these supposed, all these Democrats, all these liberals on the left that do nothing but clutch their pearls every time their sacred democracy is threatened. Did they? Were they? Were they up in arms about the Supreme Court decision? Were they like, no, no, we can't just make that the law of the land. We have to decide this democratically. Of course not. They were celebrating. They were as happy as can be because they enforced their will on the minority. It's what. It's what all these authoritarians care about. And if these people 
truly believed in democracy, they would be exposing companies like Google when they're trying to influence an election, regardless of which direction they're trying to influence it. But of course, they're doing the exact opposite. All the all these mainstream media companies, all they do is carry water for their whatever political party they align with, which is why shows like this one are so important, which is why we, we need to we need to increase our following. We need to increase our reach. So if you like the show today, if you like what you heard, give us a five star rating on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you're you're listening to. Make sure you download and subscribe and share the show. Share it with at least two two of your friends, okay? You got to have at least two people out there that you think might enjoy it. Share it with another person that maybe they're not predisposed to this message, but they need to hear it. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. I will be tweeting during the debates tomorrow. I'll watch those live. And if you want to support the show, you can go to our website, pedalingfictionpodcast.com, and click on the support the show button and you can take it from there. And if you can do all that, I will be back on Monday to recap the debates. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.